Welcome back to Chasing the Nimbus. This is episode 4 and is following a review of both Hannah and Alice 04, as well as its anime prequel, The Case of Hannah and Alice. I am Nimu and this is my co-host. I'm Moopy! At the end of that episode, we spun the wheel and ended up on Children of the Sea. Children of the Sea is a Japanese animated film based on the manga of the same name by Daisuke Igarashi. The film follows the story of a young girl named Ruka who becomes fascinated with the mysterious behavior of the sea and its creatures. Daisuke is notable for his detailed depictions of both nature as well as spiritual and surreal themes. Of course, we'll be talking all about that during the episode, so stay tuned. Alongside Children of the Sea, he's also known for other critically acclaimed series, such as Witches in a Little Forest. So, movie, are you familiar with any of Daisuke's other works? I am not familiar with Daisuke's other works, but uh, it's surprising that I'm not because I really am liking the style that I'm seeing from some of these images. And just based on, you know, what I assumed was his style from the animation that they were adapting from, I mean, this is right up my alley. So I'm definitely going to be checking out more of this once this episode's over. I've read a little bit of Witches, but that's pretty much it. Anyway, before we get into the content of the movie itself, I want to spend some time discussing the more mechanical aspects of the film before we even get into the animation. I've gone ahead and collected some shots of Daisuke's work as well as done a little research on it. I'll go ahead and show those to you right now. Look at this little muscly rat. I'm really into this guy. So there's a manga author by the name of Naoki Urasawa. If you're unfamiliar, he's the illustrator for several classics, including Monster, 20th Century Boys, and Pluto. Have you read any of those? I have read 20th Century Boys. I can't believe that I've read all of it. It's very long and very weird. And the translation I read it on back in the day when it was still coming out was really, really bad and poor. So I actually think I should reread it. But yes, uh, 20th Century Boys is great. It's very strange at near the end, but it's definitely worth it. I'm like three chapters into it. It's, it's very good. I'm looking forward to it. So he actually has an interview series that's roughly translated to Naoki Urasawa's manga exertions, where he spends time educating the viewer on manga in order to preserve the intricate craftsmanship. He invites a manga artist to have their workplace film for a couple of days so as to display them in the process of crafting chapters for their current serializations. Following this, he interviews the manga artist, and in one of these episodes, he spent it with Daisuke Igarashi. I went ahead and sent you the link to at least an outline of the episode and the philosophy behind his art style. What do you think of Daisuke's art style as an artist yourself? Uh, I watched a bit of the documentary. I didn't fully finish it, but I definitely like what he's doing. I think he's a very different artist than I probably am. Uh, I liked the way that he worked in his little studio. I very much like the idea of the clutter and the crampedness being like inspirational. Like you're inside the, you know, the brain space. Like you've created a little area where all of your references are and all your inspirational stuff. He had like little toys of like animals and dinosaurs and all the shit that's in his manga, like right in front of him. I very much like working like that. When I'm in my studio, I have, you know, the studio is sort of like the inside of my brain and I'm inside of that space where all my work and stuff that I like to think about and look at, ideas that I've written down or pasted to the wall. So you're sort of in this like, uh, like inspirational headspace, but it's customized to you and you're kind of slammed in there. You're like, you've kind of become the moving cell inside of your brain. And I really, <laughs> I definitely dig what he had uh, set up for himself. Okay, stylistically, uh, I mean, I don't really do a brush pen style. So maybe there's some mechanical stuff that's a little out of my purview, but I, I'm not as sketchy as him. He was talking about a loose, a loose hand style and I'm very tight 
with how I draw. I'm, I'm very keyed in and he seems to take more inspiration from this looseness and letting kind of a improv improvised sort of thing happen. So I very much enjoy the art style and I, it's in a lot of art that I like. It's just not something I personally uh, do, but yeah. There was a British artist that I told you about a while ago, and his name is slipping my mind, but he had this really unique process where he would, like, have to surround himself by his work to feel motivated. Mm. And, like, once he was out of that environment, he was totally checked out and, like, yeah. just depressed. I feel that. I, I can work outside of my studio. I bring sketchbooks with me, and if I'm, you know, traveling for work, I have a sketchbook, and I'll... I usually take like one small piece with me and stuff it in my sketchbook. It's, you know, like a board, a board or like a something else that I have a drawing on so I can work, but I feel much more comfortable in my studio because I'm surrounded by my artwork and all my other inspirations and stuff. So I, that's how my preferred way of working, but I can do it in other ways. This is like a slightly toxic topic, but like a lot of manga artists are like essentially work to death, but like mm. there's some artistic process or merit to like crunch time for a lot of people for some people yeah, yeah. i mean cramming and has this way of like leading you to improvise in a way you otherwise wouldn't or having the pressure on is sometimes the only way that certain people can work i mean that's just how some people work this guy daisuke didn't seem like he really was feeling that crush he seemed pretty laid back and it seemed from the documentary it seemed like he does most of his work himself he only has an assistant that comes in and like you know does some background filling stuff, but generally for the amount of for the amount of detail in his work and the amount of crazy shit kind of going on, it's pretty inspiring that he does so much by himself and seems to not be like tearing his hair out or whatever. He's like truly in it for the love of it and seems like he sincerely enjoys it. That came that seemed to be the case from what I could tell from the documentary. I really enjoy the stuff that he enjoys drawing and is inspired to. He pays a lot of attention to nature, atmosphere, and a general vibe, himself saying, I'm hoping to bring out the mood or atmosphere of it, so I'm not thinking about drawing it accurately or precisely. If I don't get caught up in that, then I figure I might come up with the other ideas while I work. Does that sort of approach resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was talking about in terms of, like, his looseness inspires his improvisational thing. You know, you leave space to have questions answered when the ideas come to you through the process of work. And that makes a lot of sense to me. But again, I only can partially, personally res resonate with that. I do a lot of improvising in my drawing, but I'm very, very tight when I draw. And it's kind of the intense focus that leads to the improvisation and not so much a looseness and a laid backness. But looking at his work, it, it, it comes across. And, and when I do nature drawings, which I do sometimes, I, I understand what he's doing, which is that he's catching the feeling of a tree in the wind or catching a feeling of like the placid ocean or something like that. And that's very relaxing. It's a lot of fun if you can get in the right mindset for it. And it is very, it's kind of like a little game that you can play with yourself. It's very improv improvisational and very imaginative because it's very rare that you draw a tree. I mean, I do this sometimes and it's why I hate drawing certain types of trees. It's very rare that you draw every leaf accurately on the tree and like get all the branches and stuff like right where they're supposed to go. The only way to keep sane while you're doing that really is to kind of make some of it up and to have a more laid back approach to it and just kind of go for the feeling of the wind and the feeling of the tree, you know, responding to it and stuff like that. Uh, very rarely do people do like an accurate leaf by leaf rendering of a tree. And if they do, they are weird. Like me, I do that sometimes and I don't like doing it. <laughs> that seems like a very mechanical approach to like drawing something in nature. 
it can be meditative too. There's a process of like getting yourself lost in it and just letting it come out the way it comes out. Um, but I think that the way that he's doing it is very much about mood and atmosphere and doesn't require that. Across in the work, it, it's totally, you catch the vibes that he's going for and it doesn't need to be so meticulous. It, it, it achieves its goal. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people when they try to either do this like freeform thing like he does or even take a more mechanical approach to it, it just like ends up looking like dentist stock art, right, on the wall? Yes. Well, the thing is, it just just because you're making up trees and going for the vibe of a tree doesn't mean that you didn't have to look at thousands and thousands of trees to get the, the, the talent to do that. So it certainly means he studied many, 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 many trees before he could get the feeling of the tree without drawing every last line on it. And being the mechanical, taking a mechanical approach can very much get you lost in the in the weeds and you'll just end up having a shitty looking tree because you over-rendered parts that you didn't need to. So there's a fine line for that sort of thing. I think maybe he obviously can draw in like probably almost any style if you really asked him to, but I think his preference of medium really shows in the style that he likes to draw as well. Like him choosing to use uh, brush strokes and things like that, as opposed to just like straight inking. Yeah, I mean he's he has a, he has a masterful command of the brush, which seems to be his preferred, uh, you know, drawing style. It's great. I think he's got some great style here. It's really good looking. I feel like he would have a lot of fun with like charcoal or chalk drawing. Mm -hmm. Possibly. I don't know. It can be very difficult to to switch mediums uh, depending on the artist. I mean, anyone who's good at this level probably could practice and get good at it. Yeah. But it can be it can be surprisingly difficult sometimes. Have you ever drawn with charcoal? Oh yeah, many times. It seems fun. It can be. Uh, there's there's a similar looseness to it where you can let let the mark making kind of speak for itself. You can make trees out of a couple of little slashes and dashes here and there. It's just, uh, you have to practice that technique just like you practice any other. But it can be very, very fun and it can go very quickly once you get good at it. Moving on to the animation, it's been pretty much universally praised for its animation and it's sort of an undeniable aspect of the film. If you don't like the actual art style, that's sort of like a subjective thing rather than a meaningful criticism. It was animated by Studio 4C. Here's my question, is it 4C or is it like 4 Celsius because it has the little temperature symbol? As far as I know, it's 4C. I guess I could be wrong, but I know everyone who's talked about it usually just says 4C. Okay. They were behind the great films like Tekonkin Creek, Spriggan, is that how you say it? Spriggan? Yes, it is. And Mind Game. They are celebrated for pushing the boundaries of animation and experimenting with unconventional styles. As a result, Children of the Sea has a lot of hand-drawn animation, giving it a distinct organic and artistic feel to the visuals, making it stand out from the more common digital animation used in many contemporary animations. While there are obviously aspects of CG, how do you feel about the hand-drawn aspects of the animation, the fluidity and seamlessness of the sea creatures in particular coming to mind? Um, the hand-drawn aspects are really impressive to me. I was just, I mean, the plot is the plot, and we'll get to that, but I was very much focusing on the fluidity of the animation, the little details. Studio 4C, usually when, when I'm going to see one of their movies, I'm expecting to come in, and the main thing I'm going to be attracted to is, like, how the fuck did they can, like, get that many little details and little moments of, like, just beautiful gesture and one-off little 
movements that feel so natural and like if you were standing next to someone and you saw them do this little hand gesture and it just stuck in your mind that's the way that some of the movement and gesture you know speaks to me in the animation it's very very impressive to me and it's it's what i expect from this studio but they bring it again and again we actually talked a little bit about friggin because we watched uh, the case of Hannah Alice as terrible rotoscoping but i i like it given the nature of the film but it was something that you were just like yeah this this is ass and then i was like well is there actual good rotoscoping and you're like yeah they already did that in like 1998 so i look up this movie and there's this fight scene or chasing like through a market and it's like straight out of a jackie jan movie it's it's literally flawless and some of the stuff looks like as good as that but like on a jellyfish like they rotoscoped a jellyfish yes. somehow yeah i i mean i don't think that rotoscoping was as heavily used in this i'm guessing who knows uh unless you we interview the animators or something but they have very passionate and very technologically capable animators working on this and i think that they yeah they get that same feeling of like how does it feel so realized like I'm, i feel like someone remembered this and stuck it stuck the memory from their brain into the animation it's really really amazing and the ro it's like a it feels like a breath of fresh air coming from Hannah and Alice to be honest like suddenly it you go from like stick figures with three points of like you were moving around you were moving around like action figures that had four points of articulation and now you've gone to like having a human now you have a person next to you <laughs> it, it, it feels it feels good is what i'm saying it's like they went to SeaWorld and we're just like we got to we got to hook your guys up to some suits and like i'm so impressed because i i've made literally several hundred videos about marine like biology the depictions of like dolphins and stuff and their movements was like really 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 well done now i actually i didn't take i don't take many notes for this show if you haven't noticed so far uh most of my research involves reading shitty articles that pop up for like old moms to read about like fortnite killing kids yeah um so but today i did take some notes and all of the notes are like moments of animation that probably are going to stick with me for like months as i think about them you want to go over a couple i'll just do a couple cuz i have like 10 of them i'm just going to say a few we could just go uh, through like 10 of them i don't think that's like <laughs> well just just it really as soon as the movie started and the fish coming up to the person's hands uh the ruka's hands on the glass it, it's you know and then it comes back later there's aspects of that that are like it's amazing animation obviously but then there's also an aspect of visual storytelling that i think is completely missing from most anime like the idea of communicating ideas through a well animated sequence like a visual a visual tells you what is happening in the story and so few anime spend time doing that because they're not either not well directed or they're not paying the animators enough or they just don't have time to pay attention to those little details or it's just like i mean there's an a good writer involved or something like that uh but it's just it's so great to see this unif like unifying feeling of the animation is matching the storytelling and they're in harmony with each other instead of like two stick figures are slapping each other and occasionally like you know a ray of sunlight comes through to show you that it was like a really good slap or something i almost feel like people are so desensitized to like anime if they've seen a lot of it that you almost don't even realize how like just amazing it is 
Well, to me, it's like I've been starving in the desert. I've been watching SAO and I've been like parched and hungry for years, you know, wandering with no hope of redemption. And then suddenly someone like, you know, pours a waterfall on my head and it's the animation in Children of the Sea. Yeah, like I'm eventually uh, going to <laughs> die of starvation and <laughs> go to hell with Miguel Gorilla and Mucha Lucha. Yes, yes. That's all in the future. But for now, I've been quenched at the oasis of like, an animation quality and visual storytelling, you know, competency. I was just gonna say, people will watch like a scene from Cowboy Bebop and it won't even be like a particularly impressive scene. They'll just do like the bare minimum of visual storytelling and people will be like, this is crazy, bro. I can't believe this. Ru <laughs> the anime Ruby is essentially entirely filled with the ter most terrible references to other people's halfway decent visual storytelling and, and people are like oh. people who've never seen these things are blown away by the fact that someone walked and hit hit a guy and it barely made sense but there was some sort of you know narrative to it it's i mean it's hard out there watching anime and knowing that you can't expect any level of uh communication through the visuals even though that's what you're watching it for yeah, it, it was hard for me for a while because I was watching, like, Better Call Saul and, like, a number of other, like, pretty well-crafted TV shows. And, like, there will be so much stuff in just, like, a random throwaway scene of, like, Jimmy bumping into someone or something. And then, like, you go and watch, like, an anime and your brain just melts. Yeah, I mean, they forgot to put the part in where you see a thing and it teaches you something or you learn about the story from it or something. Yeah, it's like, is there a director, or? Uh, yeah, I don't know what he's doing, but he's there. Yeah. But um, it, it's, it's tough because I like anime a lot, but I have to, I'm not letting myself forget that there's good storytelling possible out there, but I have to kind of like shove that dissatisfaction down. I was just like, if I want to be able to watch it, I have to be okay with just shutting off the part that knows that what I need is not being given. <laughs> that opening scene really was ironically probably the scene that resonated with me the most throughout like the entire movie because like i've always had a fascination with like marine life and have fond memories of visiting aquariums and all that shit it just captures that feeling of like when you're a child and you see like a stingray or something for the first time or like you could see a shark like three feet away from you in glass and it's just like insane one thing that was interesting since this is by Studio 4C, one of their other very early films is Mind Game that we talked about. And Mind Game is, we mentioned it in the intro of this, Mind Game is very heavily about the ocean and water and whales and the sea. And it's by Yuasa, the anime, uh, the anime director. And I was, having done no research and not knowing who made this, I was wondering if Yuasa had a hand in this because he has done so many movies now he's done three or four movies that all involve characters in the water or they're swimmers or they're ocean people or they're mermaids or something but it's not by him but i just thought it was interesting because both movies end with like a psychedelic experience that involves being eaten by a whale and i was like did maybe maybe daisuke the the manga maker has seen mind game or something or maybe it's just a common theme i guess it's what's that guy's name the the bible guy who gets swallowed by the whale Maybe it's something that it's just a theme that Japanese manga like or something. I don't know. It just was weird because 
these those movies have similar arcs, sort of, uh, and the endings are very similar. <laughs> well, <laughs> Japan is movie. surrounded by the ocean, and like, yeah, and Japan is also home to like a bizarre <laughs> amount of like terrifying sea creatures that like you could see with like right. um, the giant spider crab, obviously. The Japanese salamander mm, is like mm-hmm. a, a six foot long river salamander. Like, there's a lot of creatures mm-hmm. in Japan. So I think like while Europeans were like a seafaring civilization largely, being like entirely surrounded by water and being like isolationist probably led you to have like some weird thoughts about the ocean. Well, I lived very close to the beach when I was growing up and I definitely felt a very similar to what you were saying, like going to the aquarium and being fascinated by fish. I felt something watching this movie where when they were on the beaches and the water, swimming through the water, all those things, it felt like I was watching someone who had had these experiences then animating their experience. And I felt like a connection from that because of my own personal, like, you know, growing up on the beach and swimming a lot as a kid and stuff. It's very uh, interconnected. It made me feel very interconnected. Like there's a touching aspect of how well it's animated and how much attention and love and care is like attention to detail is given to these specific little movements it's really cool the way they were the way that ruka is swimming at one point and the hand passes through the water and the bubbles and the the current pushes and like apart as her hand passes through it it's really like i've had my eyes open while swimming and seen that from my perspective and it's really i think that mind game and you also work on like ocean stuff as well as daisuke being interested in it there's a fascination with the ocean by people that are like i don't know like nature or spiritually minded that are like guys like we haven't fully explored the ocean and i kind of feel that way too of like when people have this like weird Mm. escapist reddit fantasy of like hanging out with aliens at area 51 or something yeah, and I'm like, Mars and whatever. I mean, we have like yeah. octopuses and like crazy shit, and we learn about new like bizarre yeah. species every day up on the bottom of the ocean and stuff. One thing I thought was interesting was that the movie doesn't it doesn't do a ton of like harping on like human impact on the water and like ocean and nature and stuff. There's like a little bit of it, but I feel like had someone else worked on this or it been made by a different studio or a different director or something, it it's funny because it's so about interconnectedness and oneness with the universe and nature and stuff but it has very little to say about humans like just trashing shit i actually find that really refreshing because i do too yeah i I mean wally's like one of my favorite movies i love the you know we can rebuild destroyed earth or whatever the fuck but well you like that i'm in wally right i'm in the i'm in the little chair zooming around and i'm like saving everyone but um (laughs) You watch the fat people said just like me for real, for real. <laughs> exactly. I'm just around you, that that were me. <laughs> Just exactly, watching Wally yeah. and taking all the terrible aspects of the film and being like, God. Wow, it looks great on this spaceship. I can't <laughs> wait to get my chair. Where's my chair entry? Please insert the feeding tube. <laughs> well, why is this Let's robot fucking season my 500 chair. of Ruby. <laughs> Eat up the feeding tube. <laughs> I think that is what they were watching on those little screens. It's refreshing because I already know what's wrong with things, and I don't listen. I don't need to listen to someone tell me shit I heard in like fifth grade. I already know global warming exists. I already know the things to do to contribute to it. All I know all that stuff. Just shut up. Let's just have a movie that engages with reality on a on a more interpersonal level 
and um, ignore the macro stuff that we can't even comprehend because we're like naked apes to begin with. One thing I think is interesting is that there is a case to be made for doing the first approach, like Fern Gully, you know, we're fucking shit up, you know, humans suck and blah, 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 blah. But I think it's equally as, um, it's, it's equally valid to show people the positive aspects of what you're trying to save and the positive aspects of the interconnectedness and the universal shit and the nature and all that stuff to get people interested in the nature and not just we have to stop humans from being assholes because I tell you to, or, you know, sit down and shut up and save nature and stop complaining because, you know, uh, why not show us the thing we're saving instead of show us all the, the horror and the pain and the misery of like a seagull covered in oil or something like that, you know? There's a there's a, a there's a motivational factor. Yeah, the right? ambiguity and like not harping on things allows you to insert yourself and enjoy an immersive experience. Realize, well, I kind of do yeah. fucking care about seagulls, and I guess we shouldn't genocide penguins and squids. Yeah, yeah. It lets you, as the viewer, come to the conclusion more on your own, which I think is an equally valid way to approach a problem like that. If I mean, I don't think the point of this movie is to approach that problem really, but maybe an, an offside sort of secondhand effect would be to, you know, motivate people and show people the beauty of nature or whatever. I think that's, it's, it can be just as effective, so. On to the more digitized aspects, <laughs> I thought the depiction of bioluminescence was pretty good personally. How did you feel about the lighting and other CG aspects? I think that it was much more well blended than Hannah and Alice, for example. This was given time and it was given a lot of tech and investment and probably talented animators. Not that Hannah and Alice probably didn't have talented people working on it, but I think that they were really showing their stuff in this. And for the most part, I think it worked well. I think especially the ending sequence. I mean, I don't like, I don't like movies generally or animation generally that focuses on spectacle. You know, like the ending of this movie feels like it was made for you to sit in a theater and be blown away by like the light show essentially happening in front of you. That doesn't have much of a personal, like sub subjectively, I don't really like that. I understand the talent that's gone into it and it doesn't bother me in any way. It just doesn't have a huge effect on me because I mean, I've seen enough Alex Gray paintings and stuff to, to know what they're going for. Uh, there was a couple of aspects though that, of the CG that did kind of stick out to me in a not so great way. I didn't really like well, there's sometimes it works and sometimes it didn't. I didn't really like some of the sequences where the background is moving with the characters moving through it. Do you know what I mean? Like the beginning of the movie when she's running home from getting yelled at at the whatever shit game they were playing, the ball game. Yes, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, she's, yeah, Ruka is running through a Japanese, you know, village, the street. She's running through the street and the street is moving with her as she runs, which is from an animation perspective, would not really do. And as she turns, the camera also turns as though there was like a drone flying in front of her and then recording backwards, flying backwards. It feels a little like PS2 graphics to me. You know, it feels a little video gamey, like the diorama of the street that is has two sides and then the, the land in front of it feels very artificial. Um, I think that maybe if I was less jaded and had less experience with animation and artwork and stuff, it probably wouldn't bother me as much. But it does feel a little like you can see the diorama all of a sudden for just a moment as this shot is happening. 
And I don't think that that's necessary. I think there's no reason to include that and make this animation somehow just feel shallower when you could have just not done that and had the same effect. She could still be running through the street, turn a corner, fall down, and be on the bridge as a train passes under the bridge. All that is achievable without you spinning the diorama around and suddenly making it feel less uh, lived in. It feels more like a box that a little anime character is running through. So that's a minor nitpick, but it happens a couple of times. Um, but I think it's much better done in like a sequence as they walk through the aquarium and Ruka's following the woman who works there. And you see the, you know what I'm talking about? That wall of fishes on your right as you move in and then all the characters are moving through it. That feels you're more, I think it's because you're further inside the diorama. You don't see the walls of it uh, feel as shallow. And because Ruka is not really present in that, you're just seeing the back of a lady's head and then people standing to the side you feel deeper inside the diorama and the walls of it swinging don't feel as noticeable. Even though I can see it happening, it doesn't strike me in the same way. When Ruka is a small little character running through these streets, suddenly it becomes much larger of a problem. Uh, but other than that, almost no other problems with the CG and lighting. I loved when she was under the bridge and the light reflecting from the water upon her and lighting up the underside of her face and the underside of the bridge. That's one of those things that's like, if you didn't know it was CG, you'd like have no fucking clue how they did it. It's really, it's, and it's pretty seamless. It would be very, very, very difficult to animate that by hand, I think. You know, pretty computer assisted graphics. Um, so yeah, I'd say overall, the CG is pretty well blended with the rest of the stuff. I guess I think that it's interesting that maybe at a point in time before we totally switched over to the digitized type of animation, that making something like this would have almost been easier because you would have just had more available hands to work on it and experienced people. I don't know if that's even true, but I feel like the more you move away from the hand-drawn animation, the more taxing it is on the couple people that can actually do it. I think that can be true. I mean, the same way that people are saying AI is going to create like two really difficult jobs and then like no jobs otherwise. I think there's some element of truth to that. I think it would be effort to do some of the things in this movie by hand. It would be very, very difficult. And I think that you would probably have a different movie. Different choices would be made by the director and the animation leads and stuff of what kind of scenes and how the scenes would be animated were CG not, you know, heavily used in this film. But it would, I, like I said about the Ruka running through the street scene, I think that had it been done differently, it probably would have been better. And then flexing their CG muscles to show off this technically impressive thing I think, honestly, it falls more on its face because the tech is so front and center of that uh, little, you know, scene, that little demo of them flexing their animation muscles. So if they had just chosen to do something different, you'd just have a better movie and a better scene, I think. So uh, I'd say you're kind of right, but who, who can really say? I, I, I don't know. It, it was released in 2019, so like, it's during the current era of animation, right? So I guess it's just interesting to think like, what what would this have looked like in 2010? What would this have looked like in 2000? What would this have looked like in 1990? You know what I mean? I'll tell you now, in 2010, it would have looked like shit. Absolutely. I, I will say because you can see, if you watch Tekonkin Creek, there is a similar thing of them moving the quote unquote camera through the city. I, I look past some of the weakness of the, the now kind of dated CG into Concrete because the details and the backgrounds and all the, the, the patterns and all the little city scapes and stuff 
All of that is so beautiful and so well adapted from Taya Matsumoto's artwork that it's kind of not at the forefront of my mind when I'm watching Sakak and Crete. But uh, if you tried to animate using that level of tech, probably if you tried to make Children of the Sea at that time with similar tech, I think it might have fallen a little more flat. Because mostly I'm looking at Takaka Creek for all the little kitties and the weird little details, strange street signs and little city stuff. Children of the Sea, I think there's more ocean animals and water and little things like that. And the, the crazy spectacle of CG at the end of the movie. Uh, I mean, I think that's the weakest part of Takan Concrete is the end with the crazy CG and stuff everywhere. So I think it would have fallen a little more flat, personally. That's I think we spent a good time talking about animation. Did you have anything else you want to yeah. bring up? I think that's mostly it. It's just I have... A, there yeah. are scenes that are going to stick with me. Some really great memories of little details that were so incredible that I thought were... Moving on to the soundtrack, the film's music was composed by... Joe Hisa Ishii, a renowned Japanese composer known for his work on numerous Studio Ghibli films, including my favorite, Spirited Away and My Neighbor Totoro. The soundtrack incorporates a blend of orchestral, electronic, and experimental elements. Joe's diverse musical influences allow the score to transcend traditional genre boundaries, making it a distinctive and captivating auditory experience. I thought it was reflective of the overall theme of the ocean and was pretty well integrated. The soundtrack also features a vocal piece titled Sea Ghost. The soundtrack also features a vocal piece titled Sea Ghost. How did you feel about the soundtrack? I'm gonna be honest. I was too busy looking at the shit. I don't blame you. <laughs> if you have opinions about the soundtrack, I would love to hear them because for the most part, I was so busy like looking at everything, the spectacle, all the animation. I think that whatever, I mean, the, there were moments where I felt like emotionally resonant with the sounds that were happening with the animation I was seeing. So that's a compliment, I guess. Uh, but for the most part, I couldn't really pay attention to the music. I was too into My the animation. My review of the soundtrack is that it's good. Now onto the actual meat Excellent. of the film. The story begins with Ruka, a somewhat withdrawn and troubled teenager who feels disconnected from her family and fears. She spends her days in an aquarium where her father works as a diver. One day she encounters two enigmatic boys at the aquarium, Umi and Sora, who were raised by dugongs, also known as sea cows, and have a profound connection to the ocean. The boys exhibit peculiar and almost supernatural abilities such as swimming gracefully underwater for long periods of time, in communicating with marine life. Uh, I have a couple of things to say about the beginning of this movie. Uh, what was the stupid game they were playing? What the fuck was that game? She was playing, she got kicked out of school. The reason she goes to the aquarium in the movie is that she gets kicked out of her after school summer sports uh, practice because she elbowed some dumbass kid in the face. They were playing a ball game that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, you, They were like, I'd say 30 feet apart from each other, two ends, two goals on either end of this 30 foot field and just throwing a ball overhand at the at the goal. It looked like you could be in the goal and throw the ball at the other goal and easily make a shot. So I felt <laughs> I was, maybe I should have been paying attention to that and I was supposed to be looking elsewhere, but I was like, what the fuck are the rules of this game? You just throw the ball and it goes in? It's not even soccer. Do you know what they, you, you know what they're I playing? Have, I think apparently. I did some research. Is it rugby? It's apparently dodgeball. 
They were playing dodgeball with a goal. I think only one person's brought it up, and this person says it's dodgeball, so it's dodgeball, I guess. That person is stupid, and I disregard their opinion. They were playing overhand soccer. I think that's what they were playing. Okay, what's your next point? <laughs> that was my main point for the beginning of the movie. Oh, wait, I have another I was one. like, are you serious? I <laughs> thought you were about to cook. You're like, I have several things to bring up. I am cooking. I'm cooking on overhand soccer. Um, I thought it was very interesting the way the movie started because... I, I mean, I'm curious about the manga now. Now I kind of want to read it just to see how the storytelling was done in that. Because I'm assuming that a lot of this movie is condensing the manga and any things that were confusing to me might have been better explained through the manga, except for the, the ball game. Whatever, that's probably garbage. Who knows what that is? Um, but I thought it was interesting how they show you that somebody in this house is a drunk, but we don't know who it is until a little bit later in the movie. Like her home life is obviously uh, part of the reason she's acting out and is being all moody and weird and beating people on the uh, dodgeball court or whatever. Um, and I thought it was interesting that she seemed to have this uh, disconnect from her dad that kept her away from the aquarium for, for whatever reason. I mean, I was, inter I was interpreting because I had no information at the time. And I was just guessing that she didn't like going to the aquarium because her dad was like a drunk who like is never home or something. And it was very interesting to see how it develops and see that that actually is not the issue at all. But that's how it was communicated to me at the beginning of the movie, which I thought was kind of funny. The way that we're introduced to Umi is very strange. I thought that he was going to turn out to be like an alien shapeshifter because I wanted to know how the fuck he fit inside that wetsuit and was like wiggling around in there. Yeah, I kind of thought he was you know going to be like about? a penguin or something at first. Me too, yeah. So when we meet him at the beginning, he's in the back of the aquarium where the people who work at work there have all their facilities and stuff. And he just hangs out there because he's like a weird wet man. He's like a wet boy. Don't um, say that. Don't. And Ruka don't meets him. Don't. Okay, just don't say <laughs> that again. That's what he is. He's the, okay, he's the a opposite of a dry boy. Ruka accidentally meets him because she bumps over a bunch of wetsuits that are hanging on a rack behind her. And she picks up one of the wetsuits with one hand and puts it back on the rack. And then suddenly the wetsuit starts moving and wiggling all over the place. And it's like there's something small inside of it that sprints across the room and like slides into the water. And the whole time, like, how did she not lift this wetsuit and be like, this feels like there's a person inside this wetsuit that I'm lifting, but with one hand. How did it get up there? What happened? What's going on here? I have a lot of questions. He's like literally magical. Yeah, he's like a magical wet boy. <laughs> Anyways, those are my thoughts on the very beginning. I was very confused. I thought that something much, I mean, something magical does happen in the movie, but I thought that we were starting from a much more magical place than we were actually starting from. Things are much more mundane at the beginning of the movie than we think they, they will be. You were ready to start off at Mr. Popper's Yeah, Penguins, exactly. But it was exactly. just like, yeah, and I think it's great that it starts so so low to the ground and mundane. And I actually really like all the sequences that are on land, I guess you would say. I think showing the city is so amazing. Showing the little uh, accoutrement, the, the stuff of the aquarium, the people's gloves all set up in a weird way, hanging off a pole. All that is so cool to have those little details of day-to-day -day life working at the aquarium is really great. The mundanity is awesome. Well, that is part of the movie of showing you all the mundane mm -hmm. stuff and the unhealthy separated relationship that 
um, she unfortunately has mm-hmm. to deal with, even though her dad's like fine, happy at the aquarium. Yeah, dad's or whatever. Chill. Her mom is depressed as shit, and she is depressed yeah. as shit. So yeah, I mean, she's caught up in all this stuff, and that's part of her escape and why she's drawn to like such a weird. Yes, yeah, she's definitely looking for something outside of hanging out with drunk mom. And uh, is he? Are they separated? They're separated or something, right? Not, dad's like not hanging out with them. Yes. So yeah, yeah, she's she's looking for a wet boy to make her life a little more exciting. You're really pushing. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next part. As the story, as the story progresses, strange and unexplained events start happening around the world. Wait, you this, skipped ahead this a little. Go okay, okay, edit yeah. this out. As Ruka spends more time with Umi and Sora, she is drawn into their world and they become close friends. The trio embarks on a series of mesmerizing underwater adventures, exploring the depths of the sea and witnessing awe-inspiring marine phenomena, including a stunning underwater light show caused by bioluminescent organisms. Um, Sora's a dickhead. I like that. He's pretty cool. I, As soon as he shows up, I was like... The, there were other themes in this that I was wondering about. He, I guess we'll talk about them later, but stories are pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was—I definitely, as soon as I saw them, I was like, are they like little shoujo boys? Is this like... It, I definitely had questions about, are there like sexuality themes in this anime or manga or whatever? And it becomes stronger as the as the movie goes on. But Sora was like an early. He's sort of like what like a Griffith sort of character, right? I think it. You look at someone Daisuke's other stuff that that's probably not too yeah. far to project on. Yeah, film. I didn't want to project too much because it seems like it's it's very gentle. It's not pushed very hard in as a theme in the movie. <clears throat> but I definitely I definitely could tell that it was there. It's not creepy. No, it didn't. It didn't strike me as overly creepy compared to other. I mean, I've watched a lot of anime, and I'll tell you if it was, if there was some you know weird shit going down. Uh, it didn't strike me as concerning in that sort of way. It just made me feel like that was a, a gentle sub theme that was sort of being you know referenced or alluded to. I I think there's like an androgyny yes. to a character mm-hmm. too, and I think that makes sense given his mm-hmm. other artwork. I think I think that's just part of what he considers yeah. nature too is that like we're all kind of one mm-hmm. thing and i think that just appeals yeah it definitely comes across i think it definitely is communicated pretty well as the movie progresses i understand why someone would think that especially with his like actually i'm an edgelord attitude so who sora yeah well i don't talking? know there's other edgelords out there as the story progresses strange and unexplained events are happening around the world causing sea creatures to migrate and marine life to behave unusually. The film delves into themes of environmentalism and the delicate balance of nature. Mm, I'm not really sure. Uh, I I feel like I really like that scene when all the fish are like facing the same way in the aquarium. I thought that was pretty funny. I, I wanted I wanted like more of that. I really liked that when that was happening. I think that they're basically just showing you that something larger is at play and is unfolding yeah and that if there's any commentary on actual like things we're doing to nature or whatever this is probably where it's like the most heavily shown things mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me of that movie the abyss you ever seen that i think it was james cameron uh, oh, no i good. haven't <laughs> there's this scene where the lady's getting attacked by all the sea urchins it's pretty good i like that part 
they're all just kind of throwing sea urchins on her head. I like that. That sounds very Yeah, funny. it's supposed to be scary, but I guess I associate whenever a bunch of fish all do something acting in unison, I think of like the abyss and they're like killing people by like dropping a sea urchin on your head. That was before he went like in a submarine. I think that's right? pre submarine, I think. <laughs> okay. Because now he would like make the sea urchin your friend. Now something. the sea urchin is like your magical friend that you like hook your brain to and then you wear it as like as a hat on your head or something. Yeah, and you you become a sea urchin and fight people. <laughs> yeah, I think James Cameron's gone from being afraid of the sea to being like, I can use the sea to put, you know, to defeat people with my, like, you know, to defeat robots. I can wear a sea urchin on my head. I think we're doing very good about talking about the plot of this movie I right now. I'm going to say for sure Daisuke has watched some uh, James Cameron films. I'm going to just put that out there. Yes, didn't. <laughs> Among the mysteries of the sea and supernatural occurrences, Ruka's emotional journey becomes more pronounced. She begins to question her own existence and her place in the world, seeking solace and meaning in her newfound friendships with Umi and Sora. I feel like it's very... I think that maybe in the manga, there's more time given to her relationship between these two guys. Does that feel Does that feel like accurate? I felt like she very quickly gets at, like attached to these guys. With, I wish there was more time spent with them kind of having adventures and stuff yeah but she's like 10. how old is she supposed to be is she actually 10. i think she's like actually 10. i think she's very young. oh i was yeah. trying to guess i had no idea because there wasn't really any too many clues in the in the movie given i was very curious about that as it was progressing well it says she's 14 so i guess she's i 14. figured she was a little older than 10. yeah okay well I don't know, 14-year-olds are pretty fucking No, stupid. totally. It seemed per per perfectly reasonable for her to be 14 and just accidentally get, like, taken out on a boat into the ocean or something. Like, I feel like that was happening to me when I was, like, 16. My I had stupid friends who would, like, just take a boat and get lost in the ocean. That could definitely have happened to me. Do you remember in the Dark Tournament arc of Yu Yu Hakusho yeah. where Kuwabara's sister falls in love with the mass mm, murderer? Yeah, that's a great part. I love that part where this dude just like murders a bunch of people and she's like, oh, man, this guy's pretty cool. Smokes a cigarette in a pretty cool way. Yeah, and people are like, I can't believe that, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, one, she's already desensitized, right? She's at a tournament yes. full of demons. I don't understand why you can't imagine this, like, average to possibly low IQ <laughs> delinquent cool girl falling in love with a sexy billionaire. Mm. I just, I don't understand how that's, like, so crazy. It's sort crazy. of like a grime situation, really, if you think about it. But unironically, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that... <laughs> Kuwabara's sister is trauma bonding with uh, the Elon Musk of Demon World. I, I just, it's okay for young women to be retarded. There's like nothing. Yeah, wrong I think we should that. definitely normalize that. Yeah. And this movie does a great job. Just like me, for real, for real. No, that's. Uh, this is about the point when Sora is is. Uh... Oh no, you're gonna get to that, right? Sora's transformed or whatever. Yeah. As the film reaches its climax, a powerful and transformative event unfolds, linking the boys' origins and the mysteries of the ocean to Ruka's own past and her connection to the sea, the story reaches a poetic and philosophical conclusion, exploring themes of interconnectedness, the beauty and fragility of life, and the unity of all living things. Now, this actually, I had a, a not really related to the movie, but just sort of an overall thought I had, is I wonder, I wonder yeah. who works at Studio Four. like, I guess it's, you know, maybe a director or an, or a, I don't know, would the CEO of Studio 4C be the one who chooses which movies and manga they adapt for their next projects and stuff? It's probably a council of businessmen that 
no one knows the names of. I was yeah. just wondering because it feels like the arc of this movie and especially this climax, I feel like four other Studio 4C movies I've seen end in this same way. Like it's a very common, I don't know, you could say there's these common narrative arcs that movies and anime especially go on. But it was like very yeah. much like, even though the themes are different, it's not the ocean, it's the city, it's an urban, it's an urban jungle into concrete. It's like, I feel the ending is so hitting the same notes where they reach this climax where these characters have this universal psychedelic experience that links them to something larger than themselves and they have to either choose to accept or reject it. And that choice is how the film like reaches its conclusion. Like they usually, usually there's a, some form of rejection of this larger than themselves universal being where they maintain their individuality in contrast to the the overwhelming force that's trying to uh, get them to become one with the universe or whatever shit. I mean, it's the same with Mind Game kind of ends in the same way, where they are combating a thing that has essentially swallowed them and contained them into itself. And now they are struggling to separate themselves once again and re retain their individuality. I guess it's a, it's a common anime theme in general, but the psychedelic, like, weird subconscious sort of conflict is a, a very common thing I think I see in Studio 4C projects. Well, I think for media in general, we've kind of hit the wall for a lot of things. And like, you'll just see the same French mm. school of philosophy shit yeah. a thousand times. And it's like, I don't know, it just kind of is what it is. I understand. I'm, I'm a little like, yeah. I just enjoyed the music and the animation, and I like the nostalgia the movie evokes. I almost don't give a fuck about the meaning of the film, just because, like, yeah. I don't know, I've read it in a book. Well, like I said, I, when I see these sorts of Studio 4C movies, I generally go, go in expecting that whatever the overall ending conclusion is, is going to just be, like, one of these psychedelic things that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, yeah, just ex just let the animation wash over you, and wash, wash away all the concerns about plot or overarching themes or thematic unity and all that stuff can kind of go out the window at the end of the movie they don't really need to stick a landing besides having like a bunch of laser lights like flashing around and like whales exploding and stuff uh, it's pretty much that's all you need so i think it's true yeah. and i think we've talked about this but our conclusion was kind of like it's refreshing that it doesn't mm -hmm. get on a podium and tell me shit i could hear from any other random leftist youtubers if you wanted to not have an animated spectacle like this and you just wanted to tell the themes of this story you could just say ruka did a bunch of lsd and like watched a matt christman stream and she came away with the same lessons learned yeah <laughs> she came away with having like a one with the universe whale swallow her and like a meteorite from out of space like come and sit inside her belly and whatever you could have got the same lessons at the end <laughs> yeah right she experiences ego death and yada 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 yeah, go for it. I'm going to go ahead and read it, yes. just because I wrote it down. Sora, or Sky, and Umi, see, are reincarnated beings that represent those forces of nature. Ruka is one of several bloodlines that seem to have a connection to these beings and represent humanity's continual struggle and acceptance with these forces. All three kids represent these forces on Earth, but also these forces that mirror those concepts on a scale as large as the universe. As well as a single cell and even our interpersonal relationships between human beings and all life. 
The festival is a literal representation of humanity struggling for its place in the universe and symbolically a struggle for Ruka's place in society. Scientists represent humanity, inching ever closer to an understanding of all these concepts, both scientifically and metaphysically, and show just how little our understanding is despite how far we've come. The meteorite is simply a catalyst for these understandings and explanations, much like the unknown catalyst for life on Earth. Presumably, life originated elsewhere from the universe itself, and how it manifests on Earth is just one of many possible understandings of how it exists elsewhere in the universe. As to where it came from, how it started, and where it's going, your guess is as good as the rest of humanity. What's important is not understanding the logistics of life itself, but wrestling with your internal meaning of your own life as it relates to the ecosystems, both environmentally and socially, around yourself. I mean, it's all the same shit, yeah. Yeah, and it's like... Yeah, I agree. What else can you say? We are we are one. Uh, human experience is tied inexorably to each other. Memories lead down a endless path of interlinking experience and stuff. Blah 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 blah. Genetic memories, human memories, blah 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 blah. Universal memories, blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> this is a positive review. Oh yeah, of the movie, absolutely. By the way. I love this. It's just don't come here. I mean, maybe. I guess you could if you haven't experienced much of this sort of philosophy, then maybe it will be refreshing and new to you. But I'm old and grizzled and watched too much Matt Christman, so I, I feel like I've heard a lot of this before. But that's not the reason I watched it and enjoyed it. So it is what it is. I've told you about that, how people right. watched like Dan yeah. or Blade Runner 2049. And I asked them, like, why is it good? And they can't give me an answer. Yeah. And it drives me insane. I'm like, I just, I don't, I guess it's new to people. So it's like, I, that's fine. I'm sure I guess I'm just for like. For someone out there, this will but... be their first encounter with, uh, what do you call this? Uh, thinking. Yeah, thinking. I don't know. Thinking. Uh, yeah, communal experience, uh, universality, enlightenment. I don't know. All these things. If you've, if you've been around for a while, you've probably encountered these ideas. But if these are the first time you're encountering these ideas, then it'll be refreshing, I guess. But yeah, it did a fine job of representing those ideas. I really liked that. I did like that there was this abstract struggle of Ruka uh, accepting this universality and then it being taken from her by the, the Umi spirit memory thing that she had. And there was sort of a back and forth between who who gets to become one with the universe and who retains their individuality. And I thought it was interesting that the little alien Sora memory universe monster thing that she was encountering, it's like, why was it Umi and not Sora? Is it Umi because she kind of liked Umi and she didn't want him to become one with the universe and, and cease to become something that she could pers interpersonally relate to? I thought that was kind of... There's some interesting little things in there, but it was mostly just me, you know, subjectively speculating. There's nothing really concrete here, so... There is, like, yeah. a deeper level you could take with the film where you could, like, write an entire dissertation on, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, Umi lost his speech and his... And all sense right. of humanity, all that which stuff is there it's like, okay, in the text, but, but um, I don't know if it's super worth analyzing on a micro level because you're really just going to come away with the same shit as you would just kind of knowing the overarching themes and stuff. Yeah, I think at that point, it's literally for entertainment. I think that it's your hobby to dissect things, and I think that's totally, if that's what you want to do. It's more into that stuff. I mean, I guess this will be on YouTube and this will be an analysis, but that's not what I'm interested in doing, so... <laughs> I don't know if it's like an yeah. analysis. I think we just review shit. I don't think we're like going too hard on For it. For anyone considering watching it, it's not required to 
engage with this level of it to get, have a good experience watching this movie. Anyway, we have one more thing that I think is pretty good. Mm. It's just like some stupid Reddit posts. While they're the minority, I actually saw a lot of people think that the open-ended nature of the story and ambiguous plot take them out of the movie. I found a post that I think you'll get a little bit of a kick out of, so I'm going to go ahead. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! Articles! <laughs> Read me the article. Jesus fucking Christ. Children of the Sea and Non-Interpretation. I watched Children of the Sea when it came out on streaming and was blown away by its audio and visuals, but at the same time was left really dazed and confused when it came to the story, plot, characters, etc., and ultimately left a little unsatisfied. I like that he's just explaining the entire movie that confused him. I didn't understand any part of the movie, sorry. I liked that yeah. it looked cool. <laughs> Having just gotten the chance to watch it again in theaters, where the audio-visuals were elevated to even higher levels, exclamation point. I think part of my difficulties the first time around came from trying too hard to process the movie using words and language alone, like I would do when trying to understand the narrative-oriented movie, because the movie starts out as if it's going to be a quote-unquote normal movie. What's interesting me- what's, like, interesting to me about that line is, like, like I would do when trying to understand a narrative-oriented movie, this movie has a narrative. It's just told through, like, visual means and not just, like... I didn't realize they were gonna have parts of the movie where I had to see what was happening and interpret it and not have them just tell me exactly what's happening. I didn't know it was gonna be that kind of movie. That's kind of like... It's like needing quest markers for your movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> you're Asmund Gold, you need the directional arrow. <laughs> well, that is, I think that a lot of, a lot of people not familiar with uh, seeing movies and thinking about them probably would have a difficulty like that, yeah. There's a clip of Asmongold, like, the week when Elden Ring came out, and he's, he's a World of Warcraft player, so he's been, go kill 500 skeletons in Dumbledoreville, and he goes, follows the arrow, kills the 500 skeletons, then it's like, go kill 200 fish in Wilds of Eldraine, right. and then he goes kills to Iron Fish. He's playing Elden Ring, and he almost has a mental breakdown, saying, I don't know where to go, where's the arrow? And it's just I like the most unhinged, hilarious thing I've ever I'm, seen. Wait, if the, if the marker is over here on the map, where am I on the map? Wait, how do I make me go over to the map? <laughs> it's just crazy that, like, the concept of visual storytelling well, just does not exist. Well, this is an exist. anime viewer, and we talked a lot about how anime has a bit of an issue with any any amount of visual storytelling. Most of the storytelling in your generic ass anime of the season is the wizard tells the man that he has been reborn as a killer uh, hammer wielder or whatever. And now he must kill the goblin with the hammer. So if you took all of that out and just had the man with the hammer, then he has to look at a goblin and decide what to do with it. Like, I think your normal anime viewer might get confused as to whether or not he needs to use a hammer or not. Uh, yeah, not a lot of media literacy and a lot of the shit's on rails for people. So yeah, I think Children of the Sea can definitely be confusing for someone who has to see what's happening and then decide for themselves what's going on. Here's him understanding it upon second watch. He was like figuring it out as the post goes on. It's really good. <laughs> but the movie itself seems to hint at this throughout, that word slash language in parentheses and even math, science, maybe even art are all limited tools for communication, expression, understanding, etc. 
it may not be able to capture everything out there. And it's just like, we're, we're like one step closer. Yes, you're getting it. I, I just like that he's like, it's even math and science. It's like, it's Is a that a criticism? Is the person criticizing it because of that? No, I think they're just finding out that like you can watch a movie and that the movie can make you think of something besides like (laughs) Tony Stark fighting Thanos. A movie can make you have thoughts. (laughs) Literally, but it's like making him question his entire worldview. He's like, maybe there's something out there beyond math and science. It's just like, what is going on? Yeah, well, the problem that I see this as a decision point. This guy, this guy is like that meme where there's like the the happy castle with a rainbow over it, and then there's like the clouds and the thunderstorm down the other path. You know what I'm talking about? And he either he either gains media literacy and becomes like a normal person, or he like becomes like uh, that Magic the Gathering YouTuber who, who like harassed a lady until she left like the community. This is someone being confronted with like something greater than themselves, <laughs> than having to like, uh, yeah, having to make a choice where they go with that information. You're like my version of staring into the abyss is gonna be like one of my parents dying or something, and this guy's right. version of it is like seeing children of the sea. In the theaters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this gave me ego this gave me ego death because I had to learn how to watch a movie. And this is what really interests me. He like either spent time with this or literally like saw this um in a way where like he received comments. But he says the CGI director also hinted at this in his pre-screening comments, giving a disclaimer to not think too much and try and connect through feelings instead. Yeah, he's discovering, he's like Frankenstein. He's like discovering that he has feelings. Yeah, the literal <laughs> CGI director just saying, just watch it with your feelings was like, My what? what? My my what? Those, I, I have those? No, I mean, this is probably, I mean, I'm assuming this is someone on the underside or someone who has spent a lot of time consuming poo-poo doo-doo content. And this could be a very positive thing for someone. I mean, I've had those experiences as a kid, you know, watching movies or reading books or, you know, going to the museum and seeing artwork and like having this feeling like, oh, suddenly it's starting to make sense. Like I, I can connect to this through feeling and what it's communicating to me is that there's something greater than myself and i have to now you know confront that i've definitely had that experience multiple times like viewing and consuming art so i hope it works out for him (laughs) best of luck my friend good luck to our reddit user and here's the last sentence ending on a hopeful note taking that perspective i think really made all the difference for me and i can say now i'm more than satisfied with children of the sea well, you know what? I can say the same thing. Yeah, I am more than satisfied. My children I am more than satisfied now that I've learned how to watch a movie. And now here is a better comment than the entire article. There's one reply. Ooh. This is probably the right way to approach the film, but the amount of frankly nonsense dialogue really obscures this intention. If the movie wanted to just be felt instead of interpreted, it should have just gone the angel's egg route. Uh, yeah, I think you could have taken, like, 90% of the dialogue out of this movie. Honestly. Okay, here's my thing. I kind of agree, but Mm. I think this movie is, like, more more accessible to a a general audience, which is why Mm -hmm. it's more popular than Angel's Egg, probably, right? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, yeah, you would definitely lose people if most of this movie was, like, just sound effects, music, 
and visuals and there was very 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 little dialogue you probably would lose some people i really but, like autistic tone piece anime but i just don't think most people would mm, even yeah. give it a chance i wouldn't want the reddit the reddit guy who wrote this uh to lose <laughs> i wouldn't want him to walk out of the theater so if he needed dialogue to stay in, involved then you know more power to him it reminds me of when i saw like a red letter media video and jay mm. he likes those like 70s deli noir movies yeah and he was talking about like a normal movie and was randomly like they should have added this weird effect that they only did in like 70s italian horror movies and i was like mm -hmm. i don't disagree but also it's like you know they had the studio ghibli guy on the soundtrack and everything right yeah they should have turned away half of the audience yeah they should have made this choice that turned away more people <laughs> no i think i think children i think children of the sea does a good job of walking that fine line of like obviously this isn't gonna be the Avengers or some shit. You're gonna get a, a subsection of people who like animation and can sit through a long animated weird psycho, you know, psychological movie and surreal movie. So already you're kind of slicing off a large amount of viewership. I think they did toe the line of like, you know, there's still some accessibility here. People can take their mom to it and they would watch it and not like have their mom walk out or something. They'll at least stay for the first like half of the movie. Yeah, yeah. When the when the laser light starts shooting out of the whale and there's like a giant like cosmic cyclone of like light, maybe people you lose people there. But you know by that time they're already invested. They've been in the movie theater for like an hour already, an hour and a half already. So well, those guys go on Reddit and they're like, it looked really cool, but I didn't understand the character's plot story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. anything. No, I think it's fine. I, I mean, if I was if I was having the movie made just for me, then yes, I would probably take out a lot of the dialogue. If you want to have the movie a little more accessible, everyone can kind of get together and talk about it. And yeah, keep, most of it can stay in. Some of it felt kind of superfluous. I definitely agree that there was, I wouldn't say there's a huge amount of nonsense, nonsense, pointless dialogue, but I'd say there was some amount of it, especially in the post, you know, inheriting the meteorite part of the movie, where it was like, not really necessary. I get what's going on. You don't have to keep saying over and over and over, I'm one with the universe, the universe is one with me. I'm my mom, I'm my sister, I'm that guy in the street, blah, 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 blah. It's, I get it. I also understand that like Angel's Egg is like a movie that no one really understood initially, and now that mm. like someone told them it's good, they're like, "This is really good." And it's like, right. And once you have all the symbology like explained to you and everything, it, it's like insane, right? That there. Yeah, I've, I've heard enough Dark Souls, so now I know Angel's Egg is good. That's very funny, but <laughs> like. A movie like Perfect Blue or Ghost in the Shell, for instance, Akira, sure. obviously, it's like, yeah. yeah, there's probably more themes in like Akira than like Angel's Egg, and like, should we remove the dialogue from like Akira or some shit? It's just like, it's like, I understand the idea, and I kind of wish there were more autistic like movies yeah. like Angel's Egg, but like, there's a few, there's a few out there, but they are pretty far, they're pretty obscure, they're pretty off the beaten path for general audiences. So, yeah, like I no mean, one is watching Memories or Belladonna of Sadness or whatever. Well, me, but Random yeah, most shit. not not most people. Yeah. You haven't seen Belladonna of Sadness. I've seen Memories though. I haven't seen Memories. Mm, it's pretty good. I'll have to trade maybe. Yeah, it's on the list. Anyway, you know, just we watch Angel's Egg, okay? Just, just watch Children of the Sea and then back to back Angel's Egg double yeah. feature. I I just like the art style of Angel's Egg. I don't even really care about the symbology. I just, it just looks good. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm not super focused on the, the meaning or whatever. All right, let's spin this wheel before I kill myself. All right, it's wheel spinning time. 
if you skip a good anime, I'm overruling your decision. Oh, I'm I'm ready to skip. I'm I'm feeling skippy today. Only if it's like fucking terrible. Hmm, Angel's Egg? No thanks. Honestly, I would rather watch Mutual Lutra. <laughs> I've just seen it so many times I don't give a fuck. What's this one? Ooh, do rah 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 rah. Alright. I am down to watch this. Yeah, I I love it. I can't pronounce it? it because of my accent, but yeah. Alright, let's I haven't finished it, but yeah. I've seen season one, not season two. What are we going to do? Are we going to do both or just the first? I always wanted Celtie as Drip. Just yeah, like, Celtie is my friend. Just ride a motorcycle and have the cat helmet. Celtie is my motorcycle cat friend. I low-key want to watch all of it, but like we could just do season one. Let's see how much we get through. We'll, yeah. we'll try and do at least season, season one. Season one's like 24 episodes. So. I know, it's a lot. There's a lot. Alright, great. I'm excited. Alright, so we are watching... Okay, do the outro. This has been another episode of Chasing the Nimbus. I am Upi, this is Nemu, and uh... You didn't even say it. Why do people... Okay, go ahead. Do you want to walk me through how to say it? Shut up. <laughs> See you later, chasers. Jesus fucking Christ. Okay, and Craig. <laughs> Goodbye, Craig. <laughs>